Sound the alarm in Jerusalem. Raise the battle cry on my holy mountain. Let everyone tremble in fear because the day of the Lord is upon us. It is a day of darkness and gloom, a day of thick clouds and deep blackness. And suddenly, like dawn spreading across the mountains, a great and mighty army appears. Nothing like it has been seen before or will ever be seen again. Those were the words of the prophet Joel. The words that God gave to the prophet to, to warn his people that a very, very big day was coming. In fact, you could put a capital D on that day and said, and he could announce the day, the day is coming. And Joel described it as a day when the armies of heaven would be coming and they would advance and nothing, absolutely nothing would stand in their way. He, he described it. Like this in Joel chapter 2, verse 11. The Lord is at the head of the column, and He leads them with a shout. This is His mighty army, and they follow His orders. And then catch this last part of this verse. It says this. The day of the Lord is an awesome, terrible thing. Who can possibly survive? Now, when we see words like that, when we hear Scripture like that with, with, its, with its conviction and with, its, with really its terribleness, it, it's troubling to most of us. It's not comforting. It's not soothing when you see words like an awesome, terrible thing. Who could possibly survive? It's troubling to us. And the day, or if we would, the judgment day, is not something that most people relish. That most people say, man, I can't wait for the judgment. I, I, I don't think it's primarily because we're not sure when it will come. Even though a lot of people try to speculate about that even though a lot of people seem to make their ministry or their vocation all about trying to figure that out, even though there are lots of people that, that make money trying to tell us when that day is going to come. I really don't think when that day is going to come is, is what's most troubling. I think it's the idea or the notion of final judgment. I mean, this is it. It's no longer a situation where a parent keeps saying, if you do that one more time, and the one more time is never there. It's the notion, the idea of a final judgment. We, you know, we don't like, especially in this culture, we don't like the concept of personal judgment. Personal accountability for our choices especially with any degree of finality. Now, most of us don't mind holding others to some measure of judgment. But as for me, well, if there was one phrase that I think our society lives by these days, it's this one. 
don't judge me. Hey, don't judge me. The truth is, we make judgments all the time. We make choices. We decide what road to take. We decide who to listen to. We, we decide who to follow. We decide what's right and wrong for us. All those choices that we make, all those choices we have because God has given us the freedom to make those choices. The good news in light of what Joel said about the awesome, terrible day is that there's still some time for you and me, for those hearing his words, to make a choice. He describes it in Joel chapter 2, beginning at verse 12. He says this, That is why the Lord says, Turn to me now while there's time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting and weeping and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord your God, for He is merciful and compassionate. Slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. Listen to this. He is eager to relent and not punish. Who knows? Perhaps He will give you a reprieve, sending you a blessing instead of this curse. Perhaps you'll be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as you were able to before. God gives us the freedom to choose. And he's telling us, if you're listening to me talk today, the words of Joel still apply. There's still time to choose. You say, well, pastor, that's pretty good news. Because I'm a good chooser. I'm a good chooser. In fact, some of you would say, you know what, pastor, in fact, I can choose several things at the same time. I can choose this and I can choose that and all at the same time and make them blend together. You know, our society, more and more, uh, it, multitasking is, is a trait that many people admire. And uh, there's a rumor that's been going around that one gender is better at that than another. Multitasking. Are you good at it? You can text and drive at the same time? No problem. You can watch television while you're reading the Bible. Same time. You watch Keep Me Up with the Kardashians while you're reading the book of Luke. Just kind of meshes together. No problem. You can check your email while you're listening to your spouse on the phone. No problem. You know, uh, Stanford University, pretty reputable university, Researchers there did a, uh, a study on multitasking, and they say it uh, causes big problems. Their, their research uh, kind of was announced this way in an article that they published in, in their own news service. They said, attention multitaskers, and then in parentheses it says, if you can pay attention, that is. Attention multitaskers, your brain may be in trouble. 
The researchers originally set out to discover what gave multitaskers their special focus, and instead they were surprised to discover in many ways multitasking impairs focus and performance. So while many people think they're juggling multiple tasks, they're actually pretty lousy at it. They said this, heavy multitaskers are suckers for distraction and irrelevancy. They were also proven to be more unorganized in their ability to keep and retrieve information and to actually do what multitasking is supposed to be about, and that's switching from one thing to another. We live in a society where we're just flooded with all kinds of choices and options. And the encouragement to, to go for this and go for that at the same time and grab this and grab that and do this and do that and bring it all together. And it's just we're flooded with choices every day from food to clothes and to colors. I was talking to somebody the other day about they were, they were trying to describe a, a certain color. And I said, can, can we just please use... I don't know why it came out this way, but I said, can we just talk about man colors? <laughs> and by that, I'm not talking about any particular shade being effeminate or, or masculine. I'm just talking about the names. Can we just please just talk about whether it's blue, green, red, or orange? Or what, and, and I can even handle pink. But please, again, what, what is taupe? Again? <laughs> please do not tell me it's mauve. I, I just... It's fuchsia. I don't just give me just the man color. If we can. That, that's a that's an aside. I'm sorry. And that conversation was not with my wife. Just to, just to let you know. We're flooded with all kinds of options and choices: food, clothing, entertainment, music, movies, books, TV shows, stuff. All you know, the internet, it, the nonstop cycle of everything. We face choices every day about making uh, ethical decisions. Is this honest or dishonest? Is this black, white? Is this gray? What should I do here? We make choices every day about how to spend our time. There's all kinds of things grabbing at us to spend it here or spend it there. But there's one big choice. One big, major choice that's reflected in all those smaller choices. Uh, Israel's uh, greatest prophet, at least by their traditions and how they referred to him in, in history and after he was on this earth, Israel's greatest prophet was Elijah. There's a great story uh, about Elijah in uh, First Kings, the book of First Kings, chapter 18. It's, it's an awesome story. It, it may be familiar to you. In fact, I, I hope it's a familiar story to you. In First Kings, chapter 18, the setting is described like this. The, the, the nation of Judah is, is in its third year of a terrible drought. Horrific drought. Third year. And as you can imagine, that Three years of drought has caused a severe famine. Food is very, very difficult to come by, as is water. The king who's reigning over the land during this time is a man named Ahab. 
And his wife is known as Queen Jezebel. Her name has become prominent in history. There's a prophet in in that time, a prophet of God named Obadiah, who is a faithful prophet of God. In fact, he's faithful and and has enough uh, trust in God that he takes 100 other prophets of the true God and hides them from Ahab and Jezebel because, you see, Ahab and Jezebel have decided that they do not need to follow the Lord God. They've chosen others to serve and follow. And because of that, the prophets of God are their enemies, and most of all, Elijah. And Obadiah encounters Elijah and lets him know that the king is looking for him. And eventually, the the story tells us that Elijah and the king meet up. And in 1 Kings chapter 18, at verse 17, it says this, When Ahab saw Elijah, he said this, So here you are, it's really you, the troublemaker of Israel. Elijah responded, I've made no trouble for Israel. It's you and your family who are the troublemakers. For you've refused to obey the commandments of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. And so what results from that is what makes this story so great. It's It's this epic event that happens. It's this incredible contest that, that takes place on, the, on Mount Carmel. Elijah says to Ahab and Jezebel, I'll tell you what, you get your 450 prophets of your god Baal and all the sub-gods underneath him. You bring them all together. Meet me on Mount Carmel. I'll represent the Lord our God, and we'll find out whose God is really God. I mean, if if you read about it, it's just an epic thing that happens. And I won't try to retell the whole story. But before the grand moment happens when when it's time to see who who can bring the power of God down, Elijah stands before the people. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, it says this. Then Elijah stood in front of them. And this is the whole, I mean, thousands of people. And he said, how much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And it says the people were completely silent. Elijah confronted the people And he said this, make up your mind. Come on, quit messing around. Quit going back and forth. Make up your mind. Who is your God? And even though we're gathered in church here today and the assumption is everybody that comes to church has got it all together and we all know what we believe and we're all... I'm asking you today, who is your God? Now, I would encourage you to, at another moment, read the full story, read the rest of it, and see how God showed himself to be real and true and mighty and strong. But again, I'm asking you the question right now, today, who is your God? And I think most of you are probably, the the facial expression I'm getting is, (laughs) 
Well, of course. God is God. You don't know that, Pastor? Haven't you studied a lot and stuff? Of course, of course God is it's, it's God. It's Jesus. Are you sure about that? I mean, how, how is that reflected? If God is God, if Jesus, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if that's the God that you truly believe in and say that's your God, how's that reflected in the choices you're making right now, right now today in this season of your life? Is there any area of your life, any area of your life where you're choosing something other than God's will? Say, Pastor, well, God's will is kind of a mystery. Oh, maybe some of it, but most of it he's already revealed in his word, what we call the Bible. Is there any area of your life where you're choosing something other than God's will that He's revealed in His written Word? And then, of course, the Holy Spirit speaks to all of us individually, and He knows our, the differences in our lives of who we are, and He speaks to us His truth in line with His written Word, but He speaks to us about new things, about where we are in particular places and times. So I ask you this, is there any area of your life where you're choosing something other than God's will that's been written in His Word and that He's communicated to you by His Holy Spirit? An example of that would be, has He called you to care for someone whom you've neglected? Has He called you to take on some kind of ministry that's related to the talents and abilities He's given you and you've said, I don't have the time for that? That, that would be an example of the latter. How about this, just in the, the lifestyle choices you're making? Is there any area where you know better than God? God has said, don't do this. It's not good for you. It will not end well. And you've decided, I know better. I'm going to do it anyway. I like it. I'm going to do it. It's going to be okay. Is there any area in your life where you just know that you just can't fully trust God. You just know that you can't give that to Him. You can't trust Him with it. He doesn't quite know what to do. You know better. Sometimes we say things like, you know, I know God told us to forgive. But I just can't do it with that person. This is not possible. Sometimes we say, you know, I know God wants me to put him first. But when it comes to money, it's just, 
you know, there's just not enough. Just can't. I know God says he wants to give me an abundant life. I've heard that verse quoted. He wants to give me an abundant, full life. But I just can't relax and have a good time without a mind-altering substance. I know God wants me to love my wife like Christ loves the church. I've heard that. I've read that. But, but I, well, God just doesn't know her. I know God says that He is my refuge and my strength. But I think it's just better right now that I just retreat into despair. I ask you again, who is your God? Make up your mind. Robin, do we have that slide of that cartoon? You put that up for me. I saw this day. It amused me. I, I uh, in all my studies, there's been a few times when I've audited a class. Can you read this? You got the secretary on the phone calling into the pastor. She says, Pastor, it's Monty. He wants to know if he can audit your discipleship class on total commitment. I don't know, I just found that amusing. Maybe if you, if you don't put that together, I just want to audit it. I mean, just want to, I mean, I don't want to really like be serious about it, get a grade or, or commit, I mean, commit to it. It's about commitment. I can't commit. I just like that. You can move on. You know, this question we're asking today from the prophets, who is your God? Make up your mind. That, that's also something that Jesus wants to know. Jesus wants to know your answer to that question. In fact, Jesus wants to know if you're with him. No, I mean, are you, are you with him? Not, Jesus is not asking, do you believe that he exists? Do you believe that... Jesus is good and nice and that we should go to church and talk about Jesus. Jesus wants to know if you're with him. In John chapter 6, John chapter 6 in the New Testament, there's a, a time in, in Jesus' ministry, this time with his disciples when he began to you know, do some amazing things, but he also began to say some really powerful, strong, new kinds of things. And in John chapter 6, we read about Jesus feeding the 5,000 with just two fish and five rolls that he got from a little boy. And he feeds 5,000 plus people. That's awesome. The very next thing that John talks about is a storm came up when the disciples were out on a boat and Jesus wasn't with him. And then he came walking on the water in the middle of the storm to them and calmed the storm. That's, that's really cool. But then after that, John begins to record some things that Jesus says that begin to talk about hardship because you're following him. 
sacrifice because you follow him. And he, he used the, the language and he said to them, he said, do you understand that I am the bread of life? Do you understand that you don't need anything else to sustain you and to keep you and to nourish you other than me? I am, he said multiple times, the bread of life. And so do you understand when the world comes against you and it's tough and it's difficult to serve me and know me and follow me, do you understand that I'm enough, that I'm the bread of life? And, and it tells us there in, in John chapter 6, verse 60, that many of his disciples, and there were more than 12 that were following him at this time, said many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anybody accept this? And Jesus was aware of this, and he said to them, does this offend you that, that you will think if you see the Son of Man ascend into heaven again? that the Spirit alone gives eternal life and that human effort accomplishes nothing? Is it an offense to you that I'm telling you that I've got to be the number one thing and that I'll give you spirit and life? And it says at this point that many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. I mean, the feeding of the 5,000, that was awesome. The walking on the water, that was super cool. Then you start saying things like, you mean I've got to completely follow you even to the point of making sacrifices and serving you alone? And some folks just couldn't handle that. And they left. It says there in verse 67, in what to me shows a real human side of the Son of God, when he turned to the 12 disciples and he looked at them and he said, Are, are you going to leave? And I think maybe there are times when he would look at some of us today and say, You gonna stay? Are you with me? Yeah, I know it's kind of tough. But I told you I'm the bread of life. You believe it? You with me? Peter who at times opened his mouth and inserted his, his sandal. And this moment says something very wise and discerning. He says, Lord, to whom would we go? And I'd ask you that th this morning, where else? You, you tell me. Come on, you tell me who, what's better, what's greater, what's stronger, what's truer than the Lord. P. 
Peter said, Lord, you have the words that give eternal life. And we believe and we know you're the Holy One of God. Jesus wants to know today if you're with him. Is God really your God? Or have you actually put yourself in that place? Because the reality is that's really the only two choices. It's God or it's you. In 1875, there was a British poet named William Ernest Henley, and he published a short poem that, uh, that expressed one way to cope with life's circumstances, and especially life's tough circumstances. And the title of the poem was called Invictus, and it ended with these famous lines, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And in popular culture, those, those two lines took hold and they've lasted into this day. And, and often those lines are quoted to represent some kind of heroic, self-sufficient stand, even against terrible things like evil and injustice without submitting to God. And for over a hundred years, that, that poem's inspired a lot of people. Back in the 1980s, that, that poem encouraged former South African President Nelson Mandela when he spent over 20 years unjustly in, in prison. You know, and, and several years later, it was just a, I'm not sure how many years ago now, but Clint Eastwood uh, made a movie about the South African rugby team and their relationship with Mandela when he became president. That's a great movie. If you haven't seen Invictus, really, really good movie. And you hear those lines quoted near the beginning of the movie, and it's kind of stirring and moving until you begin to reflect on it a little bit. Thinking, well, what is he really saying there? You know, sadly, that, that poem was also a great influence on the Oklahoma City bomber, Timothy McVeigh, you know, who was responsible for 160-some men, women, and children killed there in that city I grew up in. Do you know that he scribbled the words of Invictus and handed them to the authorities at the last moment before his execution? Just several years after that poem was published in Great Britain, there was a British preacher that became very prominent. His name was Charles Spurgeon. And in a sermon just a few years after that poem was published, Charles Spurgeon urged people to submit to a better captain, he said. This is what he said that day. He said, every person must serve somebody. We have no choice as to that fact. Those who have no master are slaves to themselves. Depend on it. You will either serve the enemy or Christ, either self or the Savior. You will find sin, self, and Satan and the world to be hard masters. 
But if you wear the uniform of Christ, you will find him so meek and lowly of heart that you will find rest for your souls. And he closed by saying, if you could see our captain, you would go down on your knees and beg him to let you enter the ranks of those who follow him. We have the choice to make. Really good news, Jesus has already made his choice. He's already made his choice and he's stuck with it. In his last words to his disciples before he ascended to heaven, he said this, Be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Do you bow your heads with me? Lord, we face so many things in our lives that are coming at us from all kinds of different directions. It seems like in, in the age we live in that things move so fast. and There's just so much going on. And our lives are busier than ever and there's more demands than ever. There's more options and choices to make than ever. And, and yet, in spite of all the things that are available, we still struggle with the same issues of hurt and anger and bitterness and loneliness and unresolved conflict and troubles and struggles that come from choices we've made, choices other people make. And Lord, I just pray today that we would see that we can make one major choice to follow you and then by your grace and mercy and the presence of your spirit in our lives that will be reflected in the smaller choices Lord we want to say by faith today that when you ask us if we're with you or if we're going to leave our answer is oh no Lord There's nowhere else to go. There's nobody else like you. You're the one. You're the one. You have the words of eternal life. We're with you. Can we say that today? In the morning, when I rise, in the morning, when I rise, in the morning, when I rise, give me Jesus, give me Jesus.
As I've said it before, I think sometimes the greatest temptation we have in life is not to go out and commit some terrible act. It's just the temptation to sink into trusting ourselves. The temptation to just sink in and retreat into despair instead of trusting the Lord. And some of you have circumstances in your life right now that I know I wouldn't gloss over them in any way or pretend that they're not real or they're not difficult. And it, it just is very heavy. But I would tell you today the best choice you can make, even when it's hard, is to stay with the Lord. You know? So could you say, When the world weighs me down, when this world it weighs me down when the world weighs me down give me Jesus give me Jesus give me stand together and when the tempter comes my way when the tempter comes my way when the tempter comes my way give me Jesus one more time make the choice Give me Jesus, oh, give me Jesus, you can have all this world, just give me Jesus. The Lord is our source, our strength, our help. If you choose to trust in Him, He will not fail you. Amen.
Hey, tomorrow is, uh, is the opening day of school for most of our schools. And um, I thought it would be a really, really good thing this morning before we left if we would pray over our students, kindergarten and up. And so I asked Pastor Matt and Pastor Garen to bring them uh, in here today. And I'm going to ask them to just bring them right on up front. Uh, all, our, all our middle school, high school, high school students are in here. Come and join your, uh, your friends or your little brothers and sisters. Just come on up across the front. Bring them in tight, even in front of the altars if you want. We're going to pray for the teachers, but I will say this. Uh, we'll pray for the teachers today, and in two weeks, on September the 9th, we'll have a, we're having a teacher appreciation Sunday. So you'll definitely get a bigger moment there. So. Come on, get them, bring them in. Hey, Garen, let's bring them up close, up, up here, up, up here in front, everywhere where, where people can even move in behind them, okay? Hey, some of you guys, come around behind right here. Let's, let's make some more space. You need to come up on the steps, all right? All right, now I want moms and dads and teachers and and others who just love this crowd that's up here in front of us. I just want you to gather in close, even in the aisles or wherever, just move in to where you can kind of put a hand on a shoulder and connect with each other and with them. And uh, let's gather in and let's pray for them. All right. Hey, this is, uh, these are the folks that it's all about right here. The next generation. They are extremely valuable, first to God and then to us. And they matter a great deal. And uh, we're thankful, kids and uh, guys and gals, that uh, God loves every one of you and has the absolute best in his heart for you. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much today that you have been present with us, present in our praise to you, present in listening to the word and in all of the things that we've done together in your name. And we thank you that you are faithful and good and merciful. And God, I thank you today uh, for these uh, precious children that are to my right. And I thank you that um, in your heart, you want the very best for them. You want them to learn. You want their minds to be strong and filled with, with knowledge of good things. To give them wisdom for their life's decisions. You want them to grow. You want them to be strong and healthy. And you uh, want uh, us to, to guide them to learn and to grow. And Lord, you want them to understand that you are with them every day and you're watching over them and caring for them. And that you've placed people in their lives that love and care about them. And Lord, as we start a new school year, I just pray that each one of these, uh, these young children that from kindergarten through fifth grade, that they would understand, Lord, that you love them. 
I pray that we would be faithful as a church to demonstrate that and not only to teach the words but to show it with our lives and how we treat them and how we treat the people that they see us interacting with. And Lord, I pray that you would bless them and watch over them and give them a great beginning to this school year. Lord, I pray for our teenagers and all of the things that uh, they face from day to day. I pray that they too will learn and, and grow wise in important facts and knowledge, but most of all in the truth of your word. I pray that they will be guided by you as they face many, many options in life and choices to make. I pray that you'll guide them as they establish friendships that would honor you. I pray that you will help them when they face temptations to be swayed to do the things that will in the end be destructive to them. And I pray that they'll help, you will help them to see the truth of your word and of, of your plans for them and that what you have for them is the right way, not just because it's right, but because it's good and it's the best. And the place where they'll find the most fulfillment is in walking with you. So Lord, I pray that you would uh, give them a great year. Some of them as they head towards a future and making big choices about college or, or work or things out ahead of them, I pray that you'll guide them in their relationships and in their decisions. And Lord, we do thank you for all our teachers, all the teachers that uh, invest themselves in these young people, the ones that are gathered here today and the ones that they'll encounter tomorrow. I pray that you will give them wisdom and direction and not only the, the, the facts that they teach about math and science and history, but also, Lord, in, in the way that they teach things and the way they conduct themselves. And may they be examples of how to live. Give them strength, give them peace, give them wisdom. Lord, we thank you for this day and your faithfulness. We thank you for the, the good things that are ahead of us as we walk with you and the peace that only you can give. And so, Lord, we ask today for your blessing on each one of these children, their families, and all our teachers. And we do this in the strong and the powerful and the awesome name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen.